0: As Caleb said, we are uh, continuing on in our series, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've called this series Culture Shift, and uh, maybe you could say that you know, 20 times fast, and uh, you'll end up getting tongue-tied and upside-down and all of those things, but we're in a, talking about culture shift, and uh, I have been enjoying this, right? I've been enjoying spending time going through the Sermon on the Mount, digging deeper. Anybody else enjoying digging deeper? Right? I think sometimes we're just, it's easy to glance through, or we're in our Bible reading, and you know, we get it through. But man, let's take some time to dig deeper, and that's what we're doing as we move towards Easter this year. But I wanted to report something to you guys as I start my message this morning. And maybe you feel the same, is that I was robbed. <laughs> I was robbed of an hour of sleep. So uh, working through that, it's, it's, a, it's a culture shift in my own heart of the hour that I'm now missing and uh, lamenting its loss in my life, and we get some more day, you know, hours of sunlight on the other side, and so maybe it'll counterbalance eventually, but um, today I'm feeling it, so I'm glad we are here, and I was looking back through the past, and this is like traditionally a youth pastor preaching Sunday, I mean, all of those things, so like I think I've preached this Sunday like the last 10 years, um, so Caleb, you set me up for that one, all right, um, I don't know, maybe it's because I, I can bring the, the energy or the false energy or whatever it is um, here, but I'm so glad to do it today. <laughs> but we've been talking about Jesus bringing a new kingdom, right? When he came to the earth, he stepped out of eternity into humanity, and he brought us this new kingdom that he invites us all to be a part of. And that was kind of our big point over all of this, is that Jesus introduced a new kingdom to the world and invited us to be citizens of it. Right? Jesus has introduced this new kingdom, and he's said, hey, my people, my children, those who I've imprinted my image upon, come be a part of my kingdom. And he gives this, this outline here for us in the Sermon on the Mountain and this area to help us see what it looks like to live in that kingdom. We talked a couple weeks ago about being salt and light, right? that we should be noticeably different in the world of darkness, right? That the the flavor of sin should not be the flavor of our heart. It should be salt. We should bring something unique and valuable and precious and reinvigorating to the world around us, because that's what salt does. That's why we love our chips, right? All those things. We're called to be different. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came to, you know, bring wholeness to our thoughts, right? And our, our desires, right? He talked about how we, you know, we're called to prioritize people over the problems they cause, right? When it comes to the angry thoughts that we want to process and, you know, all of those different things, and we talked about how Jesus' kingdom came, and he calls us to value people more than the pleasures they offer, and he brings wholeness to our heart, and those, those hard statements that Jesus, said, and as you work through this, I hope it's like, some of it's like, man, that's hard, right? If you even look at somebody with anger, it's like committing murder, if you even look at someone with lustful thoughts, it's like you've committed adultery. Very deep and like, man, it just makes me take a step back and say, Lord, I need you a little bit more. Right? Lord, I need some help in all of these areas. And last week we talked about this challenge to love our enemies. To love our enemies. And it's really not in our spirit or in our nature to do that, right? We, we dissected that last week, and really it's this battle between flesh and spirit, soul and spirit that's constantly grinding, and, and as I worked through that message and the week beyond, I've had moments with my wife where I'm like, hey, uh, I, I made an enemy out of this person today, <laughs> right? And uh, I'm really good at that, I found out, unfortunately, and the Lord is working in that. But I'm, I, I, how, I was like, man, God, I thought I didn't have that many enemies. But you just, he's like, there's an enemy for you. You need to pray for them. And I just, it's been a work in progress. So know that Pastor Darren's in a work in progress. And I hope and, uh, and believe that God is stirring in you and working in you in that way. But we talked about, Pastor Kenny and I talked about this process that happens. Right, of where our thoughts produce feelings and our feelings impact our actions. You guys remember that last week? Right, this process that happens. We were talking in our growth group, and one of the gals in there, uh, you know who I'm talking about in Ording, and she was like, man, it just never dawned on me that if I just stopped it right here, it wouldn't affect here, and it wouldn't affect out here. Right, that this, if I just nipped it in the butt right here, or the butt, or whatever it is. <laughs> Which one is it, right? I've said it both ways my whole life, so. But we got to transform our thinking. We have to check our feelings. we got to watch our actions. And today as we go into this next part, there's, there's a lot of practical today in what Jesus teaches and what Jesus brings to the people at the Sermon on the Mount, right? And just, just to set the stage again for us of where we're at and what is going on, Jesus has, has begun to his ministry. He's been baptized. Uh, he's begun to preach and teach and people begin to follow. And it sets the stage where Jesus is on a hillside. He sits down. His disciples gather. The people gather and, they start to, and he starts to teach them. And so that's where we see this, right? And this really what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's this, this compilation, many scholars have called it the Kingdom Manifesto, right? This compilation of what the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Jesus is supposed to look like. What being a part of his culture and his kingdom should be. And as you look through these things in, the, in chapter 5, many times Jesus said this statement. You've heard it this way. Right? You look back through the teachings on anger, through adultery, through divorce and vows and revenge and loving our enemies, he, he started every one of those with, you've heard it this way, and then he offers us something different. Right? Throughout this whole thing, throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has helped wanting the people to see and to, and to hear, this is, his, this is the way he's going, he's saying, hey, let me be clear what it looks like in my kingdom. You've heard it this way, you've done it this way, you've seen it this way, people, but this is what my kingdom looks like. It's different. It's that culture shift we're talking about. It's, it's, it's this new way of living that Jesus invites us to that will transform us and transform the world around us. Right? That's what he's saying. Jesus, let me be clear. You've heard it this way. You've done it this way. But there's something different. We're going to see Jesus unpack that a little bit more on some other things today. And so as we see this and all of Jesus' is teaching really in the Gospels uh, together, it's really could be summed up with Jesus teaching about his kingdom and demonstrating his kingdom, right? That's, that's throughout all of it. He's like, hey, this is what it looks like, this is this, and then this is what it looks like as he does it. And so as we go today, as we begin to unpack our thoughts today, we have two principles, two kingdom works that we should all be a part of, and we're going to talk about prayer and fasting today. Two things that, you know, we could either easily mail in or, or just check off the box or just say, hey, that's for somebody else not for me. And so as we go to the word today, let's just join, let's just join together in a word of prayer and uh, as we jump in today. God, we just thank you for this time. God, we thank you for all that you do in us and through us. We pray that you would just speak to our hearts, God, here and in traditions and Ording Valley. God, and online, Lord, all of the places, Lord, you've, you've planted Sound Life Church, God, because we are the church. Lord, may we hear your voice today. God, may you speak to us May you challenge us, God. We want to surrender to you, God, and surrender to your spirit, Lord, challenge us through your word today. God, in your name we pray, amen, amen. And so we see that both of these ideas, prayer and fasting, are kind of cultural, you know, are counterculture in general, right? They're, 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 they're a culture shift, right? Spending time alone praying to a God you can't see, right, it just Some people, doesn't make sense. Or giving things up to pursue God deeper, it just doesn't make sense. But as we look at these things today, hopefully it begins to make sense. And the values and the depth and the power that is here begins to be illuminated. And as Jesus goes into his teaching on this, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If you have your Bible apps, you can go there as well. But Matthew chapter 6, hopefully you guys have been taking notes for growth groups and all of that, like hope you've been showing up to growth groups with notes and uh, spending some time in community that way. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he starts this. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners in synagogues where everyone can see them. So Jesus, like in other places, he sets the stage. He says, you've seen this, right? People of Jerusalem, people of Judea, and Hebrew people—you've seen the the Pharisees, the religious leaders who stand on the street corners, and this was a a common occurrence for them. That you know that Jesus was constantly butting up against with the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. At points, he called them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers—like not very kind names. Um, You know, Daylin would say, you know, he's he's being mean. Daylin being my daughter. But uh, Jesus would call these people out, but he, he sets the stage. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Right? Don't be like the, them who stand on the street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see. He says, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get. Right? They stand in, in a place to publicly proclaim and through eloquence and words. And these are guys that, that would have known the Torah. Right? They would have known the scriptures. And so they're busting out, you know, Isaiah. They're, they're busting out their, their, their Pentateuch, which is the first five, you know, books of the Bible. And they're saying these, the words and extravagant and, you know, trying to make them sound awesome. And the people would have seen it. Many people in that crowd that Jesus was talking to probably couldn't read. They had never held the scrolls in their hands. But the teachers of religious law, they did. They knew it. And so when they prayed their prayers of eloquence, Jesus says that's the only reward that they would get. Wow. I just prayed out loud, so Lord, I hope that's not my only reward. But Jesus says this. He says, don't do this, but then he says this. He says in verse six, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. He says, when you pray, get alone. Spend some time with Jesus. Pray to your Father in private. He says, then the Father who sees everything will reward you. Right? I want to key in on there because he says, that he says that the Father who sees everything, and as I've read this many a times, hundreds you know, of times, whatever it is in my life, this has never stuck out to me that there's a reward, but there's also Jesus seeing you. right? God sees you. Right, God sees us when we're, and and humanity sees us when we're in public, but God is the one who sees us in private. Right, God is the one. You see, prayer shouldn't be about me. That's what Jesus is saying there. Prayer isn't about me, it's about he. Right, prayer isn't about getting accolades or praise for myself because I can, you know, use words and put things together and make it sound good. No, it's about relationship with God. Not me, but about he. That's what Jesus is saying here, that those that, that do that, that's the only reward they're going to get. They're not going to get a depth of relationship with God. They're not going to grow deeper. It's going to only be about that moment. And so I challenge and encourage you, those that, that pray or are invited, like myself, Pastor Caleb, our leaders, our worship leaders, all, all of those, when we pray in public, we should be pre- praying 10 times as much in private, right? I mean, I, there's no real number to that, but I mean, if you're called to pray for somebody in public, man, you better be, have prayed before, in private before that. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. There should be depth in relationship with God before we even step up to pray over someone or for someone. He goes on and he says as well, he gives us another parallel, another thing that we can talk about. Verse 7, he says, when you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. He says, don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And notice here in multiple spots, in just these short amount of verses, Jesus says, When you pray, because he's assuming that we're praying, right? Right? People of his kingdom will be praying, people of his kingdom will be in communication. He says, When you pray, not if, not when it's convenient. Right? Not when it feels good or you're feeling, you're feeling extra spiritual today or you, no, he says when you pray. We should carve time for prayer. Prayer should be something that we go to to be refilled, not what we go to in emptiness. Prayer should be that peace. We need to pray, we need that communication with God. And kind of the first idea here is that people of Jesus' kingdom must be people of prayer. People of Jesus' kingdom must be people of prayer. And like I said, it's not about the prayer that happens in front of people. It's about the prayer, the communication that happens behind closed doors when no one's around. You see, Jesus, in this, he says, the Father who sees you, rewards you, then he says, don't, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. He says, for the Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So God sees you, right? He sees where you're at, but also he knows you. And so maybe you just need to hear that flat out today. God sees you, he sees you, and he knows you. He knows what you need even before you ask. But as we know, who are, those of you who are parents, you love when your kids come and ask for help. Right? When you can walk them through a process and help them learn and they get it and you're like, wow, that was awesome. And sometimes they ask you for help and you're like, I don't get it either. So like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Thankfully, God knows. He's a father who knows. He knows you. He knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And so Jesus warns us of some dangers when it comes to prayer. Right? But he warns us because he knows the human heart. Right? God knows the human heart. He created it. He constructed it. He put it together. He knows how things go. And so he he calls out the hypocrites, and we said, we don't need to pray for attention or public recognition. Right? That doesn't mean we need to pray loudly or, you know, and and, and aggressively. You know, there's points where we can kind of do that. But really, we should be praying in the private before we pray in the public. Then he calls out the Gentiles. He says, you know, he says, don't pray like the Gentiles. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words over and over and over again. And uh, we see it in this culture to the people that Jesus was talking to. The, in the Greco-Roman religions, repetition was used to pester the gods so they would grant someone's request. Right, they would just keep coming and keep coming and just say, you know, saying the same thing or exciting themselves. And maybe their god would finally do what they wanted him to do. But Jesus is saying, my kingdom is different. God knows you. He sees you. You don't need to do anything special, recite a certain prayer, you know, get excited in a certain way. You don't have to have Darren's energy at different (laughs) points, like, because sometimes it's not real energy. Let me be honest with you guys. I'm good at bringing it. Most of the time. (laughs) But as we look at this, we need to be, not be a pester, but we need to be a prayer. Right? Not a pester, but a prayer. We have a A car, a sedan, and we have a back seat. And our kids are getting older and bigger. And um, as they do, it's kind of getting a little tighter in the back. And so they're always arguing and you know going, you know having conversations. And oh, this person's crunching. This guy's making this noise. This guy did this, and that's all how it goes. And then through all that chaos, Danielle and I are in the front seat having a conversation, trying to you know be adults and just like whatever in that, that that car. And we just hear this, there's points like we're talking and all of a sudden you just hear the same question over and over again droning in your ear, right? It's like, can we do this? Can we do that? We're hungry, this, that. All of a sudden, like all that begins to come but we cannot be pesters. we need to be prayers. You see, prayers should be personal and practical. Prayers should be personal and practical when it comes to the Lord. we come to God, we should come to him as children. Come to him in the practical sense of God, we need you to move. God, we need you. And so you might be asking, how do we pray then, right? If Jesus tells us how not to pray, and you, you in this room or in Ordee Valley or in traditions, you might be asking, how do we pray? And I thank you guys for asking that question. Um, I appreciate it. How do we make it practical and personal? And the, it's important for us to see the disciples ask Jesus the same thing, right? Jesus is doing this teaching on prayer. He's talking about them. He's leading them. And both here and in Luke 11, where we see this thing that we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus answers that question practically. He answers that question. So let's jump in to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 15. Like I I mentioned, what we've called the the Lord's Prayer through time. And many of you have heard it or memorized it in different translations and uh, versions. And today we'll be reading from the New Living uh, today. So there won't be no these or thous. But I could go there. Jesus says this in verse 9. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will will not forgive you. And so we see here Jesus unpacking this powerful outline, right? It's an outline, but it's not just the only thing that we pray, but it's a, and it's not this magical formula of prayer that if I do this, that, another thing, God's gonna, you know, do it, right? It's not pushing the right buttons for the cheat code on the, the controller. It's not, not none of that, up, up, down, down, left, right, whatever it is. Um, it's not that, but it's a way for us to connect with God deeper. And this is what he kind of outlines as the way we should go to God. And the first thing is that we got to come with praise. Come with praise. Come with a posture of worship. Prayer should start with a heart of worship, right? Where we show up to with God and we say, hey, God, you're good. God, you're powerful. It's recognizing our place in the universe as flesh standing on rock, and God is the one over all of it. Right? That's where worship should begin. That's where the praise begins of God, you are the God above all things. And if you hear different prayers that David prayed and spoke in Psalms, and we see the, the prophets and the, throughout the prophets of, of the Bible, they go to God, God, you're huge. You're mighty. You're powerful. You can do all things. And you still look at me. We start our time of prayer with the heart of worship, right? Subsequently, we start our services with the heart of worship, right? I mean, you guys see that? Like, when we we come together, we unite in voice and in heart through song. But the same thing goes when we spend time with the Lord. We should be praising him, right? In Ording, we have the mountain literally just right outside the door of the church, right? And I walk out there some days, and some days the mountain's hidden. But, man, some days it's just like, God, you're huge. You're huge because that mountain's big, and I know you're bigger, I know that that power that that mountain could generate, you're bigger. You could do so much more. Yeah. We should be praising God. We should have that heart of worship. The, the commentary in the Fire Bible that we've been using as a resource this year says it this way, the greatest concern of our prayers in our li- and in our lives should be to bring honor to God. Man, if we just showed up to prayer during the day, we didn't bring no needs, didn't bring no frustrations, and we just praised God, Whew. Like, let that be the way we go. Let that be the, the normal way of our prayers, not just the laundry list of our needs. Right, come to God and praise him. Jesus says it this way. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Right, may your name be lifted high. Other translations, hallowed. God, you're big. The second thing we need to do is that we need to surrender. We come in praise, and then we, in, return, in response to understanding and just glimpsing how big God is, we surrender to him. We surrender. He says this, Jesus says, May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We surrender our will to God's. We surrender our feelings, our thoughts, our agendas to God because he is over it all. And as we see this prayer here, we see the same echo, the echo of the same prayer that Jesus prays for himself as he's attempt, as ascending to the, the point of death in his ministry journey, where he would take on the cross and ridicule and death for us. And he prays in the garden, God, not my will, but yours. Right? He understood where he was and what was going on. God, I want what you want, I surrender. I surrender. You see, surrender of our takes us laying down our pride. It takes us laying down our will. And as we do that, that's a key marker of the people of the kingdom of Jesus. Right? Who are surrendering, who aren't coming, getting up in arms all the time. But a heart of surrender, of laying down and coming to God and saying, Lord, your will done, not mine. Your will. I love that prayer that Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. Sometimes we're like, God, send your kingdom, right? And he's like, hey, guess what? I sent you. I sent you. My kingdom's in you. Right? We are bringers of the kingdom into the world. We are ambassadors, what Paul says. Right, and so we have to surrender to that and say, man, God's given us the greatest call. God's given us the greatest charge that we could ever take, more than a job, a career, a position, or whatever. I am a kingdom ambassador to the world. We pray, may your kingdom come soon, and we say, God, send me. And then Jesus says, after we've praised, we've surrendered, then he says, we can request Right request, he says, give us today the food we need. Not everything we want, because we could easily come with that list, but give us the food we need. I've heard it said this way when it comes to prayers, and it's always stuck with me, is that we need to come to God with our pleases, just like we ask our kids, but also with our thank yous. God, would you please, but also thank you for these things. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for these things. We come to God with our requests. Give us the, today the food that we need, the things that, we, we, that God wants to give us. He knows us, right? We hear that he knows what we need, right? And so we come to him and we ask, God, hey, we, I, I need this. And God says, hey, okay, I can work that out. Or hey, maybe you should rethink that. You know, sometimes as you pray those things, you're like, man, that's definitely my flesh. You know, when I'm praying for certain things. But we come to God with pleases and thank yous. Number four, we see what Jesus outlines is that we need, to, we need to ask for forgiveness personally. Right, we come to God and we say, well, you're good, you're powerful, I surrender. Here's what I need, God. And then we ask for forgiveness because we have all fall short. We all make mistakes. We all have that human heart that we've been talking about. He says, and forgive us our sins in verse 12, and as we have forgiven those who sin against us and a, the heart of the people of Jesus' kingdom The culture shift that happens in us is we should be people of confession and repentance publicly. Man, we should be people who own our mistakes, who ask for forgiveness in circumstances. Right, as a parent, it's going to my kids when I make a mistake and I say, I'm sorry, daddy made a mistake. It's at a job or in relational circumstances with my spouse or other people that might rub me the wrong way and I say, hey, in in nicer ways, but this is going to be blunt. blunt. You're an enemy to me. (laughs) Forgive me. I'm asking God to work with me. Obviously, you don't have to go to say that to people, right? That's just the baseline level, man. God, help me. Forgive me. Confession and repentance should be happening every day in every way in our life. He goes on. He says in, in, in the next verse, he says, and don't and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The fifth thing we can pray for is protection. Right? We know that there's an enemy who's real, who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? He's looking for opportunities. So the, you know, the question is not if we're going to be tempted, it's when. It's not, it's not you know, if, it's how. All of those things are going to happen. There's temptation that is going to come, but we can come to God and ask for protection. Ask him to protect our mind. That's that submission of our thoughts. Right, that can end up in other directions, impacting our feelings and coming out in, in the world around us. He says, we will be tempted. We need to ask for protection. God, lead us not. Help me. That's the shepherd side of God that wants to lead us by still waters, through valleys, through you know, all of those things. That is who God is. He wants to lead us. My rod and my staff protect you. Ask for it, submit to it, don't run off, little sheep. We go to God and ask for protection. And the fifth thing that we see that he, add, or the sixth thing that he adds on there is kind of an extra thought about that forgiveness piece. Because he says he asks God to forgive us and as we forgive others. And he, he tags that on. He says, he says, if we forgive those who sin against us, against, against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so we need to be people of forgiveness of others who are extending that. And I really look at it as, as one of the greatest miracles, well, one of, the, one of the miracles that we all have access to, right? Forgiveness. We should be active in forgiving the people around us. And that's what we see in this, this idea of prayer is we should be talking to God about the people that frustrated us, right? We should come to God. God, you're good. God, you're holy. God, you're mighty. I surrender to you. Here's my needs. Lord, forgive me. Of all these things, Lord, bring protection to my mind and my heart. And God, let's talk about Susie right now or whatever it is. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? She's just glaring at me. Okay. um, You guys can't see it, but I'm feeling it from over here. Um, God, let's talk about this person. Right? Let's talk about this person who frustrates me. Right? We can go to God with that. We can go to God with those feelings. He said, you know, we go to these things when we ask, and we begin to pray for them. Right? We begin to ask God to bless them. When Jesus says, bless your enemies, right? pray for your enemies, we can do that. God, help me to forgive this person. You're not my enemy, Susie, okay? Jeez, don't, <laughs> don't get it misconstrued here. Right, we should go to God and talk about those things. We should be people of forgiveness. You see, if you have all these things active in your prayers, you will begin to see the power of prayer. You begin to see the power of it. And as we see this, that prayer shouldn't, should be a conversation, not just a recited statement. It's a good place to start, but it should be a conversation with God. And Paul gives us this challenge, who, who was, a, was a prayer and loved to pray. Paul gives us a challenge to the church in um, Thessalonica at the end of his first letter to them. He says this, he says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, that's a culture shift. Joy in pain, joy in sorrow. Always be joyful. Right? What about that? That idea of never stop praying. Right? That's on the surface, that seems pretty difficult, but that, to me, that just means we keep the line open. Right, just like back when Danielle and I first started dating, when we were attending at Sound Life Church as students in student ministry, right, we had our, We would leave the phone on and go fall asleep with the phone on, right? <laughs> Some of you, you have done that before, and that was like when cell phone bills were like really expensive, and my mom was like, "You can't do that anymore," and I'm like, <laughs> "But I love her." <laughs> but we keep that connection open with God. That never stop praying doesn't mean it's always on our knees. It's always conversation going on with him as you drive by it's praying for a circumstance it's lifting it up and as, as we do that that heart of prayer continues to happen and then he says be thankful that please and thank you but that should be a part of our life our journey joy prayer thanksgiving you see in Jesus' kingdom we're called to pray and we're called also to fast Right, I mentioned that we'd be talking about that today because they're really paired together well. And as preachers and generally you know, teachers, normally we hit the prayer message and then we'll come back and do a fasting message. But we're doing it all together today because they are connected. Because there's value in both. You see, prayer speaks to the heart of God and fasting moves us closer to the heart of God. Prayer speaks to it, but fasting moves us. Hear that, we move. And Jesus says this, in verse 16, he says, and when you fast, just like he said, and when you pray, so it's not if, it's not when, it's not how, you know, you're going to fast, so let's get that in here and know that we, this is not always our, our easy, easy suit here. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. And somebody came to me once and said, hey, Darren, you fasting? And my hair was crazy. I'm just kidding. No one said it to me. Um. <laughs> Right, they're like, are you fasting today? Your beard is kind of cringly. Um, he says, don't look like the hy- hypocrites do, for they look, try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. He says, I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will get. He says, but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And he says, and your Father... He says it again, who sees everything. God sees everything. He sees you. Just with our prayers, when we come to him alone, behind closed doors, building intimacy with him, he sees you. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. There's reward in intimacy with God. There's reward in time spent with him. You see, Jesus, once again, assumes that we're fasting just like he assumes that we're Praying. And unfortunately, fasting in this day and age is, has been looked at as an option, op, optional thing or a momentary thing or as a chore at times when, you know, maybe a, a church leader or, or you read that verse like, well, I guess I should fast something. So I'm going to put my phone on the table for a couple hours, uh, whatever it is. <laughs> but here's what fasting does. Fasting helps take, helps us take our focus off the earthly kingdom and put it on the heavenly kingdom. Right? It helps us take the focus off the earthly kingdom, put it on the heavenly kingdom. You see, fasting is a culture shift in itself. It's denying myself of something good for something greater. Right? And in the sense that's why fasting food is so important. That's why giving up of this, because it creates in us a hunger, a need in us. Arthur Wayless says this in God's Chosen Fast. He says, fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity into our praying. So fasting paired with praying brings us to a place and a greater note of urgency in our praying. And it gives force to our pleasing in the court of heaven. He says, the man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly in earnest. Right, it's, it's showing God, it's showing the angels, it's showing heaven, wow, this person means business. They're not just saying things, they're actually, they're actually meaning it. Just like we say with our kids, like actions speak louder than words, right? Hey, if you're gonna go clean your room, go clean your room. Don't say you're gonna do it, go do it. You see, fasting food realigns our flesh and the spirit. Brings alignment. Brings us to a place of deeper relationship. You see, fasting shows you are personal that shows person that God is personal to you, and that your greatest enjoyment and pleasure is in Him. That's what fasting does. So why do we fast? And as Jesus says, assuming that we do, assuming that it's something that we should be leaning into on a regular basis, we fast because the kingdom of God is better. Right? It's better. The same kingdom that Jesus has been inviting us to, it's better, it's different. Right, it doesn't look like the world's. The world says, "Take more." The world says, "Eat more." The world says, "Feel better." Do whatever you can to make yourself feel better or comfortable or whatever it is. And Jesus says, "My kingdom's better." It's different. It's laying down yourself and grabbing something greater. It's laying down myself and grabbing something that is more powerful. You see, it's a reality that we see in Scripture. Right, that before many of the major moves of the Lord in the Book of Acts, in different places, we see the people gathered and they prayed and they fasted, and God said, "All right, go, Paul, go on this missionary journeys that we celebrate and we read and we see the letters that he writes to these churches that he planted, born out of prayer and fasting, born out of a heart for something deeper." Right, when I think of fasting, I think of me personally because I like food like to eat. In our family, we, we like to throw around the idea of being hangry when somebody's hangry. You guys have heard that before, right? Where you're getting hungry and you're like getting angry at the same time. You are know, like I just want food and everybody else can like just get out of the way, right? And uh, that happens quite often in our house actually with, <laughs> with three growing kids and um, myself included. I'm a growing kid. Um, but as we see this, our hunger impacts our emotions, or the hunger impacts how we interact with the world around us, the people around us, and it caused me to react, to be consumed with anger. But here's the question. Does the world around me cause me to, be, to hunger for God more? Right? Does the situations around me cause me to be hungry, be hangry for God because of what's going on around me? Right? Does, it, does that stir inside of me? Do we, does my earthly hungers and desires and aspirations cause me to rely on me or he? Just like our prayers revolve around him, not me. Fasting does the same thing. It lays me down for him. It lays my needs down for him to focus on him. You see, these are all areas that we should be growing in, and that's myself included. But the question I want to ask is this. Jesus says, as I mentioned before, that He sees you. He knows what's going on. He knows your heart. But he says that he will reward us. And that's not like the dog, you know, the sign for lost puppy on the side of the road where you get a $100 reward for finding something. It's a reward of depth. It's a reward of a relationship with a father who will never fail you. It's a reward of peace and that joy and that thanksgiving and that intimacy that God wants to have with us. But do you, and will you, take God at his word? That he wants to reward you. That he wants to reward you when you pray and fast. Here's what I know. I believe that God is on the move. He always has been from the beginning. Right, we look at the times that we're in and we're easy to, to say, oh, it's, the times are getting crazy. The times have always been crazy. The world's always been crazy because it's run by crazy humans. And we know how crazy we are and just imagine the crazier ones. (laughs) But God is on the move, always and forever, drawing his people to him, calling his people to pray and to fast, calling his people to depth with him, calling his sons and daughters to move closer to him in a world that is constantly pulling us away fighting for our time, fighting for our passions, fighting for our desires. That's what the world is doing. And God's saying, hey, come to me. I got something bigger and better. Yeah. I'm moving. I got something big happening. I see it here in South Pierce County, in Frederson, Tacoma, or God is moving. But the question is, are we moving closer to Jesus in response, or are we moving further? Are we moving closer or further? Prayer and fasting brings us closer to him in a moment pastor caleb's going to come up and he's going to share about a a challenge that us as a church can do as we move towards easter ways that we can lean into this principle together but i want to ask before i close and i pass it off to him is today do you want to move closer to him do you want to move closer to him and so would you just close your eyes and bow your heads. And as I, as I pray this prayer, this is a, a moment for us to, to realize and I say look at our minds mirror of what our time, our efforts, our energy is going to. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been, been speaking to you today, knocking on your heart, revealing some things, revealing some desires, maybe challenging you. And right now, just in a way of responding, just, just say, hey God, I, I want that. I want you more than that. And so as I pray this prayer, make this prayer personal in your own heart and your own mind. And so, God, we just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this time to gather. God, I thank you that your word is true. God, I thank you that you are mighty. And, God, today as we've heard, Lord, these disciplines, these powerful things that we can lean into in our lives, God, I pray that we would not just write them off, Lord, or that we would own them and grab a hold of them like like your kingdom says to, Lord. God, today for those of us in this room that have been maybe growing away from you, not moving towards you, Lord, draw us back to you. God, for those of us in the, in the rooms and the venues today that maybe have, been, have, have never asked or wanted to get close to you, God, I pray today that they would make that choice and take that step towards you and take you at your word, God, that you will reward us, you see us, you know us. God, I just thank you for all that you do, Lord. In your name, amen.